Welcome to the Haber Show. We have a special Thanksgiving week guest. His name is Gerson Rosas, who is the president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He comes from the Houston Rockets. We'll talk about that run with James Harden and Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni. We'll also talk about Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins' ceilings. We'll talk about balancing analytics and scouting. We'll go inside the massive culture change in Minnesota why a celebrity chef is pitching donkey meat to Wolves players, and the reason Gerson filled his organization with diverse voices. If you didn't know, Rosas is the only Latino basketball executive in the NBA, and in line with Thanksgiving week, you can tell he's grateful for this new opportunity in the Twin Cities. All right, and with that, I bring you the conversation with Gerson Rosas. Thank you for joining the Haber Show, Gerson Rosas. How are you doing today? Doing good, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. Glad to have you. It's one of those things that when we look at the early season returns of, of a lot of these hot teams, Dallas, Minnesota, Phoenix, I started digging into this story about Andrew Wiggins, and he came out to a hot start, and I wanted to write about it because there's a lot of behind-the-scenes that's more about the process of Andrew Wiggins, that it's not just a scoring fluke that was really appealing to me. When you took this job, uh, coming from the Houston Rockets, you took the job this summer, heading into the draft lottery, heading into a big summer. We had a a lot of big decisions. How much was Andrew Wiggins and just the enigma of him as a number one pick who hadn't really found his rhythm in the league yet, how much was that appealing to you as an executive coming into the situation? Coming into a new organization, I think it's it's critical that you're very thorough and you're very open-minded. You know, I don't think at any point are you ready to write off any player or any opportunity that may present itself. And for me, as I looked at Andrew, I looked back at a guy who I had scouted back when, you know, he was in high school in the Hoop Summit. So I looked at an individual who's got unbelievable talent, uh, unbelievable physical tools, uh, and unbelievable skill for a system that we envisioned he would be a great fit in. And to be fair, I know there's been some struggles. I know there's been some inconsistencies. But I'm a player development guy at heart. And where people see failings and shortcomings, um, I look at opportunities. And I saw uh, an individual who we thought would be a really great fit in the way we were going to play. And fortunately for me, having having a coaching partner in Ryan Saunders and and having the, the perspective and the history that he had with Andrew, um, it was important to look at the positives. I mean, we, we definitely had to address the negatives, but we saw an individual who, if he was willing to commit to what we were trying to do and we were willing to support him and give him every opportunity to be successful, uh, there was an interesting play there in that the, uh, you know, we, needed a, 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 we need a scoring wing, a guy who's versatile, uh, who's got the potential to play both ends, who's got physical abilities that are special. I mean, he's a former number one pick uh, for a reason. And he's still, you know, at 25 years of age, uh, there's still potential, there's still talent, there's still opportunity that we want to tap into there. But he's been fully committed uh, since day one, uh, since I took this job. And he deserves a lot of credit. The coaches deserve a lot of credit for putting him in a position to be successful. Uh, but I really did feel like his physical tools, his skills were a great fit for how we wanted to play, and I really felt like as we embraced him, um, supported him, and gave him every resource to be successful, um, you know, we were also going to be able to challenge him to be uh, to be the player that he's he's destined to be. And 
it's it's early and we've had some positive returns, but it's been it's been very fulfilling to see that that happen here early in the season. You talk about the fact that you're the you're a player development guy, and yet there's all these analytical underpinnings to your start this season, whether it's Ryan Saunders going for two for ones, or as I wrote about in the piece, you guys have (laughs) run the numbers on where certain rebounds will end up, where the rebound locations will be. And you've kind of engineered a lot of analytical thought or analytical research and put it onto the court. And Andrew Wiggins has been a, uh, a big beneficiary of that where he's uh, now, I guess, taking earlier shots in the shot clock or, or pushing the pace. He's taking more three-pointers this year. But you're a player development guy. You're a guy who started out as a scout, a video coordinator with the Houston Rockets. You're a guy who was a, a high school basketball coach. Um, and it doesn't seem like you were someone who would be uh, pigeonholed as as an analytics guy, right? Like that's one of the things that's amazing <laughs> about this is you, I don't think you would call yourself a quote unquote analytics guy, and yet a lot of the things that are happening this season are very infused by the numbers. I think that's that's a fair perspective. I think at the heart, my background, my upbringing in the league has been on the basketball side, um, but you know my path, my background is a little bit little more of the uh, road less traveled, so. A guy that you know hasn't played in this league and doesn't have that perspective. I've really tried to grasp and get a hold of any and all strategies that will help uh, an organization be successful. And whether that's player development or analytics or coaching strategy or team building, whatever the case may be, um, I've been fortunate to have gone through uh, this league and have, throughout my career, starting at the bottom and learning everything, being involved in everything, and. Uh, it's, you know, it's a testament to the opportunities I was given with the Houston Rockets way back to Rudy Tomjanovich and Carol Dawson and Dennis Lindsay up to uh, Daryl Morey and, and the current crew there. Uh, but I was, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different perspectives, different ideals, and now having the opportunity to be in Minnesota with the Timberwolves, the opportunity to, uh, you know, execute that vision um, is is very important to me. And it's something where you're striving to have success with your organization, uh, but you're also looking forward to the opportunity to execute your own vision. And I'm, I'm the type of individual that I'm going to grab a hold of any resource, of any strategy, of any opportunity that will help us be successful. So even though I do believe I'm a strong believer, especially where our program is at, we're a young program, uh, player development is a critical aspect of it. But Ryan and I really philosophically agree that we have to create advantages. Like we've got a young roster. We're still finding our identity offensively and defensively. But our ability to get incremental gains uh, on the court are something that's critical for our success. And we have a very competitive group. We're fortunate to have some some great players as part of that core and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew and some up-and-coming young players. But at the end of the day, when we talk about our philosophy, when we talk about our identity, that's it. It's creating advantages. It's finding ways within the game to have success. And whether that's two-for-ones, whether that's Ryan, you know, uh, offense, defense, substitutions throughout the games that keep points, offensive rebound, whatever that may be, We've been fortunate that we have a group of players that are very competitive, want to win, and are willing to embrace the challenge of, of having success on a daily basis. 
And while those might seem like little details, we're big believers. If you can get the little things right, that's what gives you the foundation to do the big things right. And that's our approach day in and day out, whether it's practices or individual workouts or games. Um, and we want to do something here in, Mon- in Minnesota that hasn't been done. And we want to build a sustainable model. We want to have success at the highest levels. Uh, and it takes this type of effort. It takes this type of diligence. You were part of a Houston Rockets organization that revolutionized shot selection and just uh, the ideal shot profile of a team or where you get your points and James Harden. Did you have to, did you have to, like, how do you, com- how do you communicate these analytical ideals or how do you say, hey, this is, this is a strategy we want to go for. We need to change the way you play basketball with guys who have been number one picks like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins who have been given these huge contracts for their past play. Like they probably believe this is the best way for them to play. Why do I need to change? So how do you have those conversations with guys who have been so successful their entire lives playing basketball the way they know how to play basketball and how important is someone like Ryan in, in communicating those things? Yeah, so number one, I think the alignment in our organization is key uh, because what we believe, how we see the game and how we want to execute it is something that we share from top to bottom. And I think that speaks volumes to players. Um, but number two, we can't lose sight of the fact that this is a players league and you have success with players uh, and they're the ones that have to lead the narrative. So our approach has always been uh, an educational approach. We don't ever want to tell players, hey, do this or don't do that. Uh, for us, is the goal and the focus, which really resonates with players, is we want you to be the best player you can be. We want you to be productive. We want you to be effective. But most importantly, we want you to drive winning. And when we share with them the values historically of the game and being able to walk them through, this is what great players do. This is how. This is the areas where players are really effective. Do they listen when you strengths. say like, "Hey, I, I helped X player. I helped T Mac, or I helped Yao, or I helped James Harden." Do these guys care about these past players or the history of the game like that? Our group does. Um, I think there's a real hunger here in Minnesota to be successful and for them to hear perspectives and experiences of players that have had success at a high level. They want to be put in a position to have success. And whether you can tell them that, hey, attacking the basket and getting to the free throw line more really changes your profile, uh, your shot selection, um, how everything is correlated, interrelated, I think that speaks volumes to them. I know that speaks volumes to them because the feedback always is, what can I do? How can I better my game? What are the areas that I can improve? And that's a humility and a perspective that, is critical to our organization, and it's not just the players, it's us. But those are conversations that we have with all our guys, and it's, a lot of times it's not easy conversations because you're telling them, hey, the shots you've taken over your career um, have been inefficient. If you want to be a more effective and productive player, just do this. And there are a lot of different examples that I've, I've been fortunate to be able to point back on, whether it's you know, Patrick Beverly's development over his career coming out of Europe into yeah. the NBA. Uh, you know, we were fortunate to have Goran Dragic, Kyle Lowry, uh, even Chris Paul um, there in Houston. And a lot of it wasn't our system or our philosophy. It's supporting our players, uh, putting them in a position to be successful and to buy in what we're trying to do and doing it together. And, and a lot of those times, those conversations aren't easy because it's not always about shot selection. A lot of it is about playing both ends about 
uh, rebounding, about being good teammates, about creating good culture. Um, and those are things that everybody takes for granted. Uh, but Ryan and I have really focused on dealing with those things head on and changing the environment, changing the culture uh, that's in Minnesota. So part of it is being able to be transparent with players of why we're doing what we're doing. And if you can't communicate it to them at a level where they can understand it, then as a leadership group, you failed. But we're fortunate. Why we shoot the shots we shoot are because they're, they're strategic, high-value shots that we believe in. Um, you know, to be fair, we're not the best shooting team in the NBA, so we're, we're a developing shooting team, and that's why offensive rebounding is so important. And I think our players really value the transparency of, hey, this is why we do what we do, and what we do offensively is what we're going to try to prevent defensively. And that consistency, I think, speaks to volume, especially when the management group and the coaching group are all on the same page, consistently saying the same things day in and day out. Yeah, the offensive rebounding thing, was it just jumps off the page when you look at the numbers and see uh, Akogi and and Jake Lehman, the way they crash the boards, and it just doesn't seem like these are traditional re- rebounders, right? They're not your center, your prototypical big men, but they rebound like big men. What is that about? You know, our coaches deserve a ton of credit for that because we're emphasizing it. I, I, I do believe in, in the, uh, the sentiment that you are what you do, and uh, these are things that we're working on day in and day out that our coaches are emphasizing, that our players are being made aware of. But that's who we are. You're not, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're likely a middle-of-the-road shooting team, um, but our ability to be a good offensive rebounding team really supports the success of our offense. So for us, our guys know that there's opportunities in that area, and that really uh, drives winning for our offense. So it's a point of emphasis. It's something that our guys know that the organization values, and as a result, it's something that they're valuing. But our players deserve a ton of credit because you can write it up on the board and talk about it, but unless you do it, you know, it doesn't have any translation. How good is Carl Towns? I mean, it's, <laughs> he, he's the modern-day NBA big, um, and that's hard to say in an era where it's small ball everywhere. But um, to me, um, you know, he was one of the major reasons, if not the major reason, why I took this job. But being around him, knowing what type of individual he is, and seeing his talent, um, has, it surprises me every day. Uh, and I say that because I thought, hey, we're getting a, a young big um, who you know can really um, you can build around and work through. Um, but what we've seen is the ability to change the narrative of the game today with uh, with a center who can not only play inside but play outside, not only score but create. Uh, but has an unbelievable high IQ and a high care factor to be successful. Um, you know, what the things that he does on the court are incredibly impressive. Um, you know, people don't give, don't get the perspective of what he does off the court and how good of a teammate he is. Like, I, I'd give a lot of the, uh, you know, of Andrew Wiggins' success uh, has come as a result of how much um, Carl has supported him and believes in him and wants him to be successful, which in this day and age, you don't see teammates like that. You don't see leadership like that. But I see an incredibly talented player who not only wants to be great, uh, but wants to be a champion. And for me, understanding that that's who our program revolves around and the guy who's as hungry and as committed to having success with this organization uh, really excites me because it, 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 it lets us know that the future is very bright for us. 
When Steph Curry won his first MVP, he averaged eight three pointer eight point one three pointers a game at a forty four percent clip. Currently, Carl Towns is at eight point eight three pointers a game and forty four percent from three point land. That's insane, Gers. That's insane. Like Carl Towns, who was the number one pick for being a center, is now shooting threes at the level of Steph Curry when he took over the world. If you ask Ryan and if you ask our uh, offensive coaches, we probably need to get that up to uh, 11 or 12 because of how well he's shooting it. But it's, it's such good offense, and it's, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, I saw the development of, of James Harden's step-back three, and I remember all of us in Houston saying, like, man, that's such a tough shot. Like, it's it's so hard to make that a positive and productive shot. And to his credit, he did it. Uh, and now I've got a seven-footer who can do that. And I look back at it like I tell our guys, hey, run the numbers. Like, you know, is, is he shooting that as well as, as as it looks like he's shooting it? And it's, it's an unguardable shot. I mean, James, you know, developed it. Carl is doing it now. And it's it's just ridiculous. You know, it's not fair for another seven-footer or another center to have to guard a guy like that on the perimeter and to be able to not only shoot from there, uh, but to be able to step back to pull up in transition as a center. Um, for us, it, it, it changes the way we play offensively, and I know it's unconventional, but that shot is such a good shot, and through some of our, our, our shooting struggles, our centers are you know, arguably our best shooter on the team, and our yep. ability to get him consistent, good open looks are something that's super important for our offense. But he just, that level of impact and what it does to opposing defense really helps drive our offense because our ability to play read and react and we're basically looking at how teams are going to defend Carl you know are they going to put a prototypical big on him are they going to go small if they go small our ability to go in the post his ability to read double teams and move the ball around and ignite our offense it's it's really the catalyst for what we do what how we do what we do and then to put the ball on the deck and just be able to go at the rim I mean the skill this, it's not just that he's a standalone shooter or a step-back shooter. It's the ability to, uh, if they do overplay the shot, that he can go around and get to the rim. Yeah, no, and that's been a big point of emphasis. Like, you know, we want to get good shots up. We don't want to settle. And his ability to attack closeouts or attack other bigs on the perimeter uh, really allow him to be an unbelievable productive player. So he's, he's one of the guys that uh, I think when he came into the league, people thought MVP. And I think when they went to the playoffs, we just think that this is going to be a literal, uh, a linear trajectory for these guys. And it's not. It's not a linear tr- uh, projection for, for a lot of these players that there's going to be up and downs in their career. But I, I remember it was just like two years ago, Gerson, that he was picked as the guy you want to build around in, in the GM survey. And then last year he didn't get a single vote. So did you have to prop him up a little bit coming into the situation, give him some confidence or love or some, something to kind of make him feel like, hey, I still believe in you? Were those conversations that you had with Carl Towns to say, hey, I want to I take you as high as you can go? I think, number one, he's such a competitor. And, you know, having opportunities to talk to him once, once I, I got this job and um, knowing where his motivation was. I don't really feel like he was shaken, Tom. I feel like this organization has gone through a lot of trauma in the last two years. Um, so it was almost like, you know, what else can go wrong? And my conversations with him are, you know, 
we're this is a you know we're going to turn the page we're starting over we're moving forward and we're going to do this the right way and glenn taylor deserves a ton of credit because for me taking this opportunity uh was with the chance to do it the right way and the resources we've been given to build our staff on the front office side, build our staff on the coaching side. Our foundation through this change of this organization has been we want to be innovative. We want to be player-centric. We want to be family-oriented. But we also want to be championship-driven. And when I had that conversation with Carl and told him, anything and everything that we do is going to be looked through those lens, uh, and it's going to be to support you, benefit you, and make you the best player, Um, but with that, there comes a lot of responsibility, uh, and there comes a lot of hard conversations about you really want to be a great player in this league. Um, you know, you're going to be challenged and you're going to be pushed. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to be supported because there's nobody that believes in you more than myself and Ryan. And we're going to do everything possible to help you fulfill the tremendous potential of talent that you have and it's you know it's something that i that i experienced in houston you know and our ability to do everything and anything possible um to help james harden reach his full potential it's something that i had in mind you know how you build a roster how you build your philosophy how everything that you're developing complements your best player to put him in a in a platform where he can be at his best it's something that we're thinking about day in and day out. And I think that really resonated with him. I think he felt the support. Uh, but it was also a lot, a, a challenging conversation of, hey, we need you uh, to step up as a leader. We need you to step up defensively. We need you to step up um, as a rebounder uh, and, and impact the game in ways that impact winning. And that resonated with him. I'm a firm believer, great players want to be coached. But in order for you to coach them and to challenge them, they got to know that you believe in them and that you are aligned on the same path. What did you see when he and Joel Embiid went at it? Is that something you, you love to see with, from your guy, the fire? Or are you like, ah, wait, wait, I don't want you to get suspended now. No, I, you know, I, I said it after the incident. And what we're trying to do in Minnesota, what we're trying to build, it's, it's a fight. It's a battle. And we're trying to prove ourselves every day. And, you know, I... To see, you don't ever want to see players in, in that situation because of fear of, of, of somebody getting hurt. And, but at the same time, at some point in time, you have to stand up for yourself. And I was very proud of, of Carl for standing up for yourself and saying, hey, enough is enough. You know, I'm not playing games. This is what I'm about because that's what we're about. And I told our guys, I said, hey, we're going to have to fight and claw and, and earn everything that's going to come our way. Um, and we have a lot of work to do. And and that path is long, but that path is headed toward greatness. And anything good in life or in sports or in the league uh, is hard. And our guys understanding that, hey, we're going to have to earn this and we're going to have to work for it um, is, is a natural reality for us. So I thought that was a reflection of who we're going to be. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're, we're young. We're coming together. We're developing our identity. We're going to take some losses, but we're going to go down fighting. And, that, and that's who we are and that's what we're about. When you look back at your career in the NBA, do you think that you have this opportunity with the Minnesota Timberwolves if it wasn't for that, that Tracy McGrady trade with the Knicks? <laughs> you know, uh, I've been very blessed and very fortunate throughout my career. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a, a kid from Bogota, Colombia. Yeah. Uh, coming, 
coming to this country as an immigrant, falling in love with basketball and doing anything and everything possible. Um, you know, if a guy like Dennis Lindsay wouldn't have taken the time to give me a chance uh, to be an intern and really uh, put my foot in the door, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. So, I mean, I would say there were a lot of things that happened throughout my career. I was fortunate to be a part of a, of a great organization. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a drive and a passion um, for something special. And uh, we had a lot of great moments in Houston. Um, I'm most disappointed because we couldn't finish what we started there in terms of, you know, a championship um, accomplishment. Um, but, you know, as a group, as an organization, we did a lot of incredible things. And I was very confident that I was going to get to the right place uh, and have the right partnership with, with ownership and the corporate group and um, a coach and players to be able to fulfill this vision. But you never know. You know, I'm very blessed to have done what I've done in my career. This has been an unbelievable ride. Where this game has taken me is, is you know, I'm very humbled. You know, not only to be in the NBA, but to be a member of an Olympic winning team with USA Basketball and Coach K and and his staff, to be part of the NBA's Basketball Without Borders, uh, to have the perspective and experiences. I pinch myself every day and I tell our staff, you can't take this for granted. Like, we're we're blessed to do what we do, uh, but because of it, you have to be passionate about what you do. And for me, this opportunity in Minnesota is all about that, about doing something that's never been done, about being the first group to establish a championship organization here. And it's an organization that has a lot of great history. But for myself, for Ryan, for our staffs, for our players, we're, we really take pride in the opportunity. And there's a lot of work to do. There's a long road to travel. Um, but day in and day out, the passion and the desire to be great is something that I'm very proud of our group. Yeah, you keep talking about how you have to be creative and use every resource. And like building assets and building uh, draft picks and, and developing resources to propel your organization further. I mean, that TMAC trade, I go back to it only because all the pieces matter. That's like the quote from The Wire. Like all the pieces matter where you're going back and you're looking, how did, how did the Rockets get James Harden? And then you see the picks that they got and where they got Kevin Martin and how they got Kevin Martin. And I don't think people get enough credit to the way you guys in Houston were a bit, you know, stockpiling assets. We always talk about this in the league. But to, to not only see, hey, we need to move on and transition from the, the amazing T-Mac era and all the highs that he brought to our organization. And then we're going to rebuild with Kevin Martin, who was a guy who... I think on the out, like if he was playing today or in his prime today, he'd be averaging 30, 30 points a game just because of his ability to get to the free throw line, his ability to shoot efficiently. To take that and flip it into James Harden, who became one of the best players, if not the best player in the league, that takes a lot of process oriented thinking, right? That takes a lot of foresight to say, look, we are doing this deal for the future uh, to, to develop assets and maybe be, be able to strike when a player like James Harden becomes available. Absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, and, and my counterparts throughout the whole league, something that maybe the media and, and fans aren't privy to is there's a lot, uh, there's a, there's a ton of, of bright individuals in the league running teams. And uh, the reality is you have 
30 organizations that are all working to make themselves great. And a lot of time, goals don't align in terms of trades or uh, changes that will help both organizations. But that's what you strive for. One of the things in Houston that, you know, I think our group took a lot of pride in is being honest with ourselves. Like when, you know, when we weren't good enough is understanding, hey, you know, we can't just play this thing out um, and pretend that it's something it's not. So being honest and being realistic, making hard decisions ahead of the curve and ahead of the market were important things for us, but also being aggressive. Like for us, it was, you know, we were one of the most active teams on the market and it was consistently looking for opportunities to improve ourselves and to give us the resources um, to, to find great players, uh, whether that's through trades or free agencies. And you mentioned the Tracy McGrady trade, uh, which had a lot of layers to it. Car- um, Carl Landry to a- Sacramento, too, like finding a guy like Carl and then be- building him up from where he was drafted to where the value came. It was That was important, too. No, and, and that's why you know I talk about so much about being advantageous because it's you can't like you just you, you you can't just shoot for the stars and hope that that's it. You have to start at lower levels and build your way up, which you know everybody tries to do around the league. And we were fortunate with a guy like Carl and even a guy like Kyle Lowry and what that player and what that pick turned out to be in the James Harden trade. But you can't you know you can't sit still. You gotta you know initially you gotta build out internally. You gotta evaluate what you have, develop your players make them the best they can be and then you have decisions to make you know what can the market offer how can you find opportunities to get high-end players and develop them because it, it it takes time and that's a big part of of the process but you know whether it's for us here initially in minnesota it's being aggressive to get a guy like Jared Culver, uh being strategic and free agency to find system fits a, a guy like jake layman um we have to consistently continue to, to, to move the program day in and day out by looking at uh, opportunities that, um, you know, that aren't organically there, whether it's trade for players, develop players, sign players uh, domestically or internationally. We have to have that aggressive approach of every day. What are we doing? How are we helping ourselves? And how are we finding a way to move the program forward? Uh, but a lot of it is, is, is staff-based, and that's one of the, the things, you know, I'm most confident in, in here in Minnesota with our front office group and the diversity of opinion, diversity of experience. Um, you know, our, our fan base, our organization um, is going to be confident in knowing that we're doing everything possible. And, it you know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not from one day to the next, but these little things add up over time. It takes time to develop them. We're fortunate to have a core of a guy like Carl and a guy like Andrew um, that we can build around and continue to invest in. But there's, you know, there's no stone that we're leaving unturned. There's no opportunity that we're not evaluating uh, because where we're at in this day and age, we have to be aggressive. We, we, we can't sit still and hope things work out for us. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. It's Peter King, host of the aptly named Peter King Podcast, dropping every Wednesday. I chat with big football people. Now, I've added a second mini pod dropping Monday mornings, capsulizing my football morning in America column. Listen. Now, back to the conversation. 
You talk about how players are, or your organization is player centric, but what happens when a player like James Harden or Carl Towns, these, these foundational pieces go, Hey, I want to get that guy on my team. What does that conversation look like? Where they, they say, Hey, like even, even a few months ago, D'Angelo Russell was saying, Hey, I'm going to play with Carl Anthony Towns one day and Devin Booker. If Carl Towns comes to you and says, I want X player. How do you have that conversation with them and be like, hey, uh, we'll do everything we can. We'll look at what's right for our team. But there is a limit, right, to being player-centric is that you don't want them to be, quote-unquote, running the organization. That's a fair perspective. I, you know, I, and, and no point do our players either here or, or in Houston have, you know, do, do they make the decisions. I think if you want to be player-centric, you got to be open to having those conversations with players all the time. Yeah. And it's not just Carl, but other key guys in our organization – and a lot of it is what are we building and how are we doing it and what type of players are going to benefit in our system and how can we grow our talent base and what are guys that fit in. But a lot of those conversations, because you don't ever want to put a player in a situation where they're making that decision and having to live with the results. That's my job. you know. Yep. That's our staff's job. You know, Ryan and I as we come together. But you want their input. At the end of the day, the reality is if the players aren't on board with your plan, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how good the plan is. If they don't believe in it, if they're not committed in it, it's not going to work. So you can do whatever you want to do. You can't do anything without the player's commitment. And as a result, you got to make them part of the process. And you got to help them understand why certain things um, happen and, and why doing those things now are going to help you down the road. You know, a lot of our messaging this season has been, hey, we're, we're new, this is a new group, we're coming together, we're establishing identity. You know, it, it hurts to lose, and we've been fortunate that we've had a positive start, but we're worried and, and focused on making sure that we're doing the right thing so we can win games in January, in February, in March. And a lot of that is philosophical. Some of that is uh, personnel in terms of the development of young players. We, you know, we play younger players earlier to give them the repetition so they can be successful down the line. And that's a conversation you have to have with your guys. Hey, this is why we're playing our young guys. And this is why uh, we believe in these guys. And it's why. Those are tough conversations, you know, I'm guessing. Like, I don't think Jeff T wants to hear, hey, we're playing so-and-so over you or, or giving them minutes because they're young. Like, that's a hard thing to tell a, a 31. or You don't have many 30-year-olds on your team for, for, for good reason, but. I think they're. I think those. That's tough. Like, how do you communicate those things? Like, hey, we gotta, uh, we gotta sit you here because we want to play our young guys. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily that. I think part of it, that conversation, and Jeff is a great example because he's an unbelievable professional. But it's like, hey, we want you healthy and productive for the whole year, and because yeah. of that, we want to make sure that we've got a guy behind you that can support you and and give quality minutes. And those guys understand that. In order to be successful, you have to be a deep team. And, you know, Jeff is an accomplished player, and he's going to get his opportunities. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is a conversation of, you know, what's best for the team and how can we continue to grow and develop. And, you know, we have to have a backup point guard. We have to have a guy that's there to support um, the team in different situations. And guys understand that. But I think a big part of that is being transparent, being honest, and being comfortable having uncomfortable conversations because that's a natural part of our job. It's not something that's easy. Uh, it's not something that, you know, everybody wants to do every day. Uh, but it is a necessity. And I, I do think players really appreciate the fact that 
you're going to be straightforward, you're going to be honest, and you can have those conversations. doesn't mean you have to necessarily agree. And there's a ton of discussion, and I think that's what makes it the most interesting. When guys understand that you can disagree with them without taking it personal, and you can have conversations that are maybe from different perspectives, uh, at the end of the day, having more of those and uh, are healthy for, for the organization. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to win. Uh, and there's different ways to get to that. But being on the same page and knowing that there's a healthy environment for conversation and discussion is a big part of that. Yeah, because you, you guys went to the Bahamas uh, for three days, and I don't know if there was much basketball being spoken there, but what was the purpose of that trip? Because I want to be part of the Minnesota Timberwolves if it means I get to go to the Bahamas <laughs> for three days. Well, that was uh... – you know, that was a very interesting player-led trip for us in that. Um, so that's you know, player-led. Like, who, who, who started that that trip? Carl. Carl was, uh, you know, Carl really took ownership over that. And, uh, you know, we had done some of that in Houston in the past. So in conversations, he and I talked about it. And, you know, I challenged him. I said, hey, look, now is the time to get your team together. Um, you know, we'll support you guys as a staff. Uh, but – it's not always about basketball. Uh, there's a personal level to it that you have to engage in, and the Bahamas gave us that. It was an opportunity to be isolated from you know your everyday world, be in a place where you just know each other, uh, and have conversations and discussions about things outside of basketball. You know, just life in general, and getting to know different individuals. And for us, that was a very productive time. Um, you know, new leadership group new coaching group, new players, and just the opportunity to share meals, um, share experiences, share perspectives moving forward. You know, I'm, I'm the oldest of, of four boys, man. I, I, I love the big family perspective. I love, you know, the quality time of conversations, of experiences together. And we had a good time. I mean, we did anything and everything that you can imagine. You know, we played beach volleyball. We were on boats. We were – having team meals, team dinners. Um, there was a lot of engagement there. Um, and for us, it was important to get to know one another. And it really set the foundation for the start of the season. And you don't want to start training camp and then have that exposure of, oh, hey, how are you doing? Good to meet you. What are you about? Blah, blah, blah. At that point, it's too late. Wait, you wait. Know, you got to invest in your. Wait, I want, I, who's the best volleyball player? I feel like Carl Towns is a, is a cheat code on a beach volleyball court. Uh, he's not bad, but we had we had some we had some ringers. Um, you know, one of our guys, Kevin Hansen, our our uh, assistant coach and director of player development, has some beach volleyball in his background. Jordan Bell. Uh, oh yeah, because of beast at the net. But it, it was fun. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, everybody's out. You know, just having a good time and. You know, there's there's competition, but uh, there's enjoyment. I mean, we, uh, you know, we did a little bit of everything, but it was you can't take yourself serious. You got to be able to have fun as a group and and build that culture. Uh, it's easy to talk about. Hey, everybody wants good culture. But yeah. You really have to invest in it. You really have to do the little things that, you know, at at times feel like how you know why do we have to do that? Uh, but when you have your best players leading that charge, when you have um, your your other players looking at those guys and seeing how involved and that they believe in it, it's fun. You know, we go with, Ryan and I go with Wigs to a jazz bar and just listen to jazz 
for a couple of hours and, and, and have great conversation. Those are touch points that have really um, set things up for us this season. You know, our rooks, our young players, and talk to them about what uh, NBA life is like and for the staff as a whole to get to know each other and how we operate, how we communicate. Those touch points go a long way, and we need them. You know, we're a new organization. We're a young group. We've got a lot of work to do, but you need a foundation like that to work off of. Is it your experience that players traditionally are afraid of their front office or are standoffish with their front office? And is that culture changing where you guys have been very collaborative, want these open conversations with players, coaches, Ryan and uh, and David Vanderpool and you and Sachin or Glenn? Like, who, was, was this what, what was going on like 10 years ago, 20 years ago in the league, like that players felt comfortable around their front office? One thing is um, everybody does it differently and you can't do it a certain way. Like you have to be true yourself. And, you know, that's who I am. That's who Ryan Saunders is. You know, we have a very flat organization. We don't take ourselves serious. We enjoy it. We love what we do. We're very passionate about it, but we want to have a good time. And I think players, uh, feed off of that. They see that we're all comfortable in our own skin. We don't take each other serious, but we're all very competitive and we want, you know, we're committed to doing something special here. So for us, our environment uh, is very open to that. And I think teams around the, their league, you know, they do it differently. Some are similar, some are different. Not that they're better or worse. Uh, everybody just does it their own way. You know, for us, uh, this is what works. It's an extended family throughout a season, you spend so much time together, whether it's the staff, whether it's the players, um, you know, it, it's miserable if you don't have these level of connections. It, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful or you're always going to win, uh, but it allows you to realize there's a bigger picture perspective in mind. And when things go bad, it's the ability of teammates or staff members to pick themselves up. Uh, and, and you have that, you know, that element of, Hey, you know, there's a connection, there's a relationship there, and there's an environment where that's appreciated. You know, we we really try hard. Uh, and early on, you don't have enough wins as you would like, but we celebrate the wins uh, as much as we can. You know, what does that look like? Team dinner. What, when you see, yeah, what does I mean, celebrating it, a team win look like? It's team dinners. It's 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 having fun at each other's cause. Like it's it's video sessions where you poke fun at each other. It's uh, being able to realize that, you know, from myself to Ryan to our best players, you know, we're going to get, you know, our chops busted as much as anybody else and not taking it serious, but being professional and having a good time with it. Uh, it's a little bit of everything. And when you lose, it's learning. Hey, being honest with each other and saying, hey, we hate how this feels. We're disappointed about it. But what can we learn from this? How can we move forward? It's staying away from the negativity um, that that often hits organizations and letting letting everybody know that hey we're in this together we're doing this together there's going to be ups there's going to be downs but we don't ever want to get too high we don't ever want to get too low and we want to enjoy the process. This doesn't sound like I mean you know Tom Thibodeau from your years in Houston it doesn't sound like the same culture as him but he was very successful at different spots with that culture. Yeah and and that's why I say and, and Tom's a, um, a good friend of mine and, and we go way way back we were in Houston together and we were on USA basketball together um but he's got to be who he is and what worked for him is different than what you know works for other individuals so 
you got to be yourself. I think one of the things that players most appreciate is the uh, transparency and genuineness. If you're not who you are and you're trying to be somewhere, somebody else, um, you've got no chance. Uh, the players see through that, uh, and, and it's hard for you to really um, t- take an identity that's beneficial for the organization. So, you know, whether it's Tom or whether it's somebody else, um, I commend them for being who they are. You, you can only do it your way, um, and this is our way. You know, and I, whether it's right or wrong, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be in this league about 20, almost 20 seasons, and I've seen different things. You know, I came into the league with a guy in uh, Rudy Tomjanovich, um, and uh, who was very similar to this, you know, very family-oriented, very open, which I really appreciated. And, I, you know, I saw different stages, um, being with Dennis, uh, being with guys like I, well, I was very fortunate, Jeff Van Gundy, Rick Adelman, Kevin McHale, even to uh, Mike D'Antoni. Those are all experiences and of and things that I've learned of different approaches. And even and even Daryl uh, being in Houston, just different things you value, different perspectives. Uh, but we're all different. And I've been fortunate uh, to have Brian here in Minnesota, where we share a lot of those values and we share a lot of those perspectives. Um, so this process is not something that's forced. It's not something that's created. It's just who we are. You know, we're basketball guys who love what we do. We're going to work our tails off to make this a championship organization. Uh, but we're going to have fun along the way. How hard was it to lead the Houston organization, given how much time, energy, pieces of your life to win a championship there? And how do you know when to leave? How do you know, like, hey, we've been to the Western Conference Finals X amount of times. We came this close to taking down the Warriors. I want to see this through, but I also want to take this opportunity. That must have been excruciating. Well, that was the toughest part. You know, you invest 17, 18 years of your career in an organization. And for me, being a fan in Houston when Houston, when the Rockets were winning championships, that memory and those experiences drive me to this day. And being part of the Rockets organization, uh, that was my goal. I want to do anything and everything that I could in whatever role I was to help that organization get back to a championship level. And uh, it was hard. You know, I think it, the team that we had, that you know, we, we had Golden State on the ropes and Chris Paul uh, has a hamstring injury. I, you know, I really thought um, that was our shot. And um, Chris was unbelievable for us. But for him to get hurt there, you know, really impacted us. And and to me, you, you understand in your career, these changes are going to happen and you're going to have to leave. You know, I'm, I'm originally from Bogota, Colombia, but Houston is home. Houston is where I grew up and mm-hmm. uh, Houston is where my family is. So I knew that there was going to be a time and, um, and, you know, an opportunity for me to leave Houston. Um, the, the partnership with Minnesota, with Glenn Taylor, uh, with Ethan Kasten, with Ryan Saunders uh, was the one that I was looking for and the reason to leave at, at such an opportune time where the organization in Houston was having so much success. Um, but, you know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we all strive for the opportunity to execute our vision. And uh, Minnesota really gave me that opportunity, and it was something that I couldn't pass up. But um, it was hard to leave Houston uh, without – uh, completing our mission of, of bringing a championship to the organization. And uh, it's something that 
you know, you always look at, look back on and, you know, you wish you would have had better health. Uh, you wish things would have, would have worked out better, but you know, we lost to the champion in Golden State and, uh, those guys played great and they deserved to win. Um, but there's always that thought in the back of your mind, like, you know, I wanted to get that organization back to the championship years. And now it's the same motivation that I have in Minnesota. And it's exciting that it's never been done. So we can be part of a group that establishes that, that legacy here. Speaking of never have been done, you are the first Latino, uh, I guess, executive to be running a, an organization in the NBA with the Minnesota Timberwolves. What does that mean to you? And why aren't there more Latino executives or players or coaches in the league? And how important is it to have that experience, that background, and that, you know, that, that voice of diversity in the room? Because that seems like a big pillar for you, is that you don't want people to all agree with each other. You want people to come in with different perspectives, different backgrounds. And sometimes that means that a, a Colombian kid from Houston could be the right choice to lead an organization in Minnesota. That's one of the things that, that's most humbling for me. And it's not because of me. It's a reminder of, uh, you know, that a lot of individuals helped me get to this point. And as a result, I have a responsibility to give back and help others. I'm very very fortunate and blessed to be part of the NBA, one of the, you know, if not the most forward-seeking leagues in all of professional sports. And um, to be the first um, doesn't mean as much as being able to help others have that opportunity. And not necessarily just Latinos, but anybody of different backgrounds or uh, different perspectives, different experiences. That's my responsibility. A lot of people help me. You know, if Dennis Lindsay doesn't take the time to sit down with me and visit with me, I'm not here. And I strive every day to make sure that whoever I can help at whatever level, uh, when you find somebody that has passion and a purpose, um, that's almost more fulfilling than any accomplishment you can have. And uh, for me, the league has been an unbelievable partner. Um, I think of Adam and uh, Adam Silver and Mark Tatum and even Kim Bahoney and some of the great leaders there in the organization, how much they supported me, how much opportunity they gave me throughout my career to help get to that stage. So you realize it's, it's not nothing specific to me. I was fortunate to be at the right time at the right place and have the right experiences uh, to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, but it's, uh, it's definitely a commitment towards what this league is all about and what it means for life, especially in this day and age. How can you give back? How can uh, you help others? Uh, and part of it is because diversity is important, uh, but it's also because successful organizations are showing that having um, diversity in leadership, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought is a key element in having high-level success. Um, I'm a big believer with our staffs, you know, whether it's front office coaches, you know, the, our health staff, we can't have any blind spots. And so that means that not everybody can have the same perspective. Not everybody can have the same experience. We need people that work in different sports, that come from different places, that have different life experiences. That allows us to block out as many blind spots as possible and what allows us to be a strong leadership group. Um, so for me, it's something that I take very seriously, uh, whether it's building out our staff here in Minnesota or helping individuals that are interested in getting in this league or being involved in sports. 
Um, it's not even something that is an option for me. It's something that's a natural part of what I do every day. And whether there's community opportunities um, or there's things that I can get involved in with the league or uh, locally in, in Minneapolis, um, those are things that I strive for. It's When you're given this opportunity, when you're given this role, uh, there's responsibilities that come with it, and those are very near and dear to my heart. And you go, you're on a court doing practice drills or rebounding drills. And the story that I wrote with Sasha Gupta, who it doesn't seem like your stereotypical or conventional executive in the NBA. Then you have Gerson Rosas on the floor with these guys. I mean, just that image in general is is pretty striking for what um, you know other leagues might look like on the floor. And how how important is it having Sasha and different? perspectives in that organization what are some examples that he brings a different a different perspective that maybe uh we didn't have in the nba 10 years ago if you go up and down our staff I'm, you know that's why i'm so proud of our group but you look at a guy like Sachin, uh you look at we have Gianluca pescucci who's an italian uh from from milan and a former gm there you have uh joe branch who comes to us from uh the agent world uh, you have Robbie Sika, uh, a, a doctor who's left his practice to be part of our uh, wellness group. You have Manny Rohan, an Australian, who does a ton of work for us in, in CBA. The perspectives we have at, at, at all levels, Pablo Prigioni um, as an offensive coach, David Vanderpool, with all of his experiences, you want different opinions. You want different perspectives. You want different experience. And I think that's what gives us a chance to do something special, you know, whether it's such and um, looking at different perspectives and how we can execute strategy, uh, whether it's John Luca looking throughout the whole world for talent at any level uh, to add to our program. Joe using his experiences as, you know, former college player at Northwestern or a former agent or a former shoe executive, whatever the case may be, the points of contact, the information, those are things that, you know, I think really resonate with our players because there's so much diversity. There's so much different opinions and thoughts. And it doesn't mean everyone is always right. Um, but our guys know that it's appreciated, you know, the approaches we take, the perspectives we take, how we take care of our players, how we value them in different ways on the court and off the court. And that can only be done by a staff. Uh, and that's people. You know, you ask with what the secret formula is and it's people it's it's putting people in perspective to do great things and that's one of the things that um i'm i'm very excited about because we have individuals in this program who not only have done great things in their career uh but they're all different uh they're all different and coming together that's what gives us different ideas and different thoughts and different approaches um that are going to help us build a competitive advantage what is the most bizarre food that andrew zimmern has made you eat Oh, man, we actually had uh, the rollout here in New York a couple of months ago, and uh, the food has been ridiculous. Like, our guys are, are, are so spoiled, and, and our staff is as well. But you have uh, James Beard, award-winning chefs, personalizing your meals uh, <laughs> for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and even takeaway. It's like you have to pinch yourself like, hey, this isn't this isn't a reality, but it's a testament to Glenn Taylor and the commitment to our vision here. But um, he was 
he was speaking up the, uh, not that we've done it, just to clarify, but he was speaking up the value of uh, donkey meat uh, in one of our uh, one of our platforms where we were discussing uh, nutrition. So, so for, the, uh, for those who don't know, Andrew Zimmern is the face of the Food Network show Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern and one of the most iconic shows. I'm a big foodie, so I love this stuff. And so Andrew Zimmern is now working with the Timberwolves to craft some meals or craft a, new, uh, a diet program, uh, food program for the team. And now he's making Carl Towns eat donkey meat every meal. Wow. Breaking news. <laughs> we, we have not approved that, and it just speaks to the uh, diversity of opinion and thought. Oh, yes. That's okay. Not one, <laughs> that's not one that's been approved by uh, Dr. Sika or the uh, nutrition program yet, but I give Andrew a ton of credit for uh, expanding our, uh, our what, boundaries. And what, is, what, is the, what are the virtues of donkey meat? Why should I be eating donkey meat, according to Andrew? Uh, you know, he was just, he was pretty strong on the values of protein and, uh, you know, just the benefit that, that he's seen and, and studied and explored. And uh, I don't think it's, it, it's getting through our wellness program yet, but I always appreciate um, different opinions. So uh, Andrew, Andrew's definitely brought a different perspective to us, which we really value and appreciate. So what it, what um did you eat donkey meat? What was what was the meal like when you're when you're eating alongside or, or hanging out with Andrew Zimmern? Didn't eat donkey meat. They were not serving donkey meat, but a lot of it is great discussion. And, you know, we know basketball, they know food. And uh when we talk about different things with players and it's the diversity of where players are at in 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 their uh physical careers. You know, there's stages where they need to add weight and strength and there's stages where they need to uh, reduce inflammation and uh, get leaner and get lighter and their ability to connect those dots for us from a nutrition perspective is critical you know foods that not only are good for you but taste good for you are important uh, you know the education for players of the value of eating breakfast and eating good meals and making sure you're probably properly nutritioned and that you understand what are the right foods? What are the things that don't work for you? When are the best times to eat, you know, pre-game, post-game, um, all those situations? Those guys have a breadth of knowledge, and uh, it's always great to challenge them because they're coming from an outside space, and that's something that I really appreciate. Sometimes you can get so caught up in the basketball and the NBA world of routine. This is why we do what we do. It's always been done this way, um, you know, for us. We constantly have to challenge that. Why do we do that? Why do we do shoot around the way we do? Why do we do travel the way we do? Why do we do our individual workouts the way we do? And we're fortunate we have a head coach. We have a coaching staff. We have a group that's very open to change and to trying different things. A lot of it is going to lead to failure, and a lot of it you don't get anything from it. But the one time you do have success, those are elements that are program changers, and that's what we're constantly striving for. And to have experts in their field like Andrew and, and Gavin Kaysen um, and to use that uh, intellectual knowledge within our program is, is something that we're very proud of. So I used to live in South America. Four years of my life were in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and you are a native of Bogota, Colombia. I want to ask you, what is the best Colombian meal or best Colombian dish that people don't know about out there? 
So, I mean, you have to reference yourself better, Tom. You you lived in Miami, so you you were exposed to a lot of oh yes Colombian food there. Uh, but I will tell you, my um, my all time favorite is um, in Bogota is is the city that's cool. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily cold, but it's cool. So soup is a big thing, and they have this unbelievable chicken soup that I'm sure our nutritionists wouldn't approve. But it's um, chicken, rice, and like three different types of potatoes. Um, that really, it's it's my go-to whenever I'm in um, New York or Miami, and I get a chance to get to a great Colombian restaurant, or even in Colombia, the uh, ajiaco soup uh, is, is definitely something that flies below the radar. I'm writing it down. How do we spell it for those who are listening? A J I A C O. Ajiaco soup. Yep. All right. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I got I didn't I didn't I didn't get that in Miami out in South Beach. I didn't get enough of that. But I I did take my wife to uh Cartagena when I was in Miami, which is for those who don't know, Cartagena is like is basically the Caribbean. It's the Caribbean. It's in, it's right there. It's like an hour and a half away from Miami and it was incredible to like basically hop on a flight and you're in South Beach and then end up in Colombia like that. It was it was incredible. It was a beautiful city. The walled city was incredible, and I know people have this this stereotype or this image of of Colombian and drug cartels and kidnapping and all this. We had an amazing time. One of the best best vacations I've ever ever experienced. Now the the secrets out. I I, I tend I try to go back to Colombia every summer and between Cartagena and Medellin. You know the tourism rates. Colombia is a hot spot now. And it's, very, very encouraging to see how, how far the country's come um, since since I've been in the States. Beautiful country, and we're very blessed to have some peace and tranquility so others can experience it and, and see it for themselves. Wait, so are you going to Carta next time with Carl? Like, are you going to take? You going to say, Carl, if you want to do another one of these, we're going to go to Cartagena. Big supporter of Colombia to our players, and I think those are experiences, and especially because it's nearby. But it's it's unbelievable experiences, and uh, there are a lot of NBA players that, that have gone out there, and a lot of NBA personnel. Because whenever somebody's going to Colombia, I get the uh, mandatory call of where do I need to go, where do I need to stay, and where do I need to eat. So based on that high-level survey. Um, I'm very confident that uh, NBA engagement is pretty high. Well, hey, uh, Gerson Rosas, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time in the middle of the season. I know you're busy, guys, so thank you for joining the show, man. Uh, My pleasure, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. If you're trying to escape family for a little bit here during this Thanksgiving week, I know I've done that before. Definitely go binge on The Haber Show. We got plenty of episodes there for you that are evergreen. We got uh, Warriors president Rick Welts, NBA champion Channing Frye, and Wizards owner Ted Leonsis on the show recently. Definitely check those out in between helpings and stuffing. So thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends and family during this week. And most of all, have a happy and healthy Turkey Day. <laughs>